stand to our feet. <clears throat> Time to praise and worship the Lord this morning. Uh, if you would, shake somebody's hand and welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. All right, this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to do what? Rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. I want to read to you from Psalm 135. It says, praise the Lord. All right, we're going to try that again. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O you servants of the Lord. We are His servants. You who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house to our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is pleasant. You know, you're happier if you're a praiser. Say, I'm going to be a praiser and not a complainer. Nobody wants to hear that out of you anyway. <laughs> uh, the Lord is good. Amen. Sing praises to His name for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel for His special treasure. We need to remember that. Here we are in the last days. For I know that the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. Little g. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. I want to stress that. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. God does whatever He wants to do. So if He wants to transfer the wealth of one nation to the other, He can do it. If He wants to take money out of your bank account because you're robbing God and transfer it somewhere else, He can do it and you won't even know it. God is in charge. That's what we must not forget in these days. Amen. He's in charge. For the Lord has chosen Jacob. He's his treasure. The Lord, uh, the, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasures. Who's in charge? Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise in this house. Lord, we worship you and we thank you for your word because it's our guiding light during the season that we're in. We thank you, Lord, that you've not forsaken us, but you made a way for us. And we give you praise for that. Say it with me one more time. Some trust chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise. He's worthy. Amen. Children's church is dismissed. We have two nurseries next door. The rest of you may be seated. Um, <clears throat> I want to give you a, a little update and share a few things with you that you need to know as we tread through this season we're in. Now, I think you can see that even in this country, we have a lot of people that are against Israel. Uh, a lot of the things that are going on in this country that are basically saying they want Israel wiped out. And they're not marching in the streets for equality. Uh, they're marching so that Israel will be gone. Many of them are. So, uh, but that's what the Bible told us would happen, right? We're in the last days. I want to take you to Genesis 12 and 3. We're going to look at this on the screen. It says, I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of Abraham, who's the father of the Jews and the church, basically all of those who are faith. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse uh, him who curses you. And in you... He's talking to Abraham. Did you pay attention to this last line? In you, speaking of Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because of Abraham's line, which led us to the seed, not the seeds, the most important is the seed, which is Christ, who was born a Jew in this life. Abraham was a Chaldean. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book, uh, The Royal Cemetery published in 1934, but it did uh, a report on Ur, where Abraham was from. And we know now that they had an alphabet in Ur. They were writing on tablets. Abraham was, a very, was in a culture that was very smart. They had two-story houses with indoor bathrooms and uh, fireplaces in their kitchens. Most of their homes were uh, two stories built out of brick. And we think we're all that, huh? And most of them had a chapel in them. And underneath them, they had a, a place to bury their dead. Had tombs and all that. They had 
they also discovered uh, things that were engraved from a thousand years before that. So we act like things just happened lately. As I tell you, we started getting dumber. And I say it like I really want to say it. Say, yeah, go ahead and say it like you really want to say it. We become more stupid since the garden. Adam probably functioned with all of his brain. Here we are stuck with 10%, and some of you got less than that going on. I'm just... <laughs> so not any of you all, just people somewhere out there. <laughs> I'll speak to your spouse and find out how that works. <laughs> uh, so we've, we've uh, gotten to a place where we look back with disdain, I think, a lot of times on those folks. But Abraham left there. He was a uh, Chaldean. He was a Gentile, I guess you would say, early on. And I've just been doing a lot of study, and I found out that uh, the Phoenicians were way behind. They were Johnny-come-latelys with all this alphabet and speech and all that stuff. But uh, what, I, what I'm discovering is how adamant the devil was to get in the learning realm. Because whatever you teach as education, good or bad, will keep getting propagated. And so that's why the devil went after Adam and Eve. You know what he went after, after them with? Knowledge. He was trying to talk them in to eating from that tree where, we, where they would get the wrong knowledge. And that's how this got kicked off. And now you've got people, even in the streets in this country, with the wrong knowledge. And they're making horrible decisions on the wrong side. Now, there is not, there's not a document in the world that's as important as this one I'm holding in my hand. This, this is the most important document in the world. If you don't know anything about this document, you are way behind. Amen. And this document sets the precedent for everything else. If God, and we know that he did, but let me just say it for those who may get this. If God wrote this, if he's the author of everything and the creator of everything, you ought to pay attention to what he said in here. Amen. Everything about how we live in our culture and everything was based out of this. Now that's been distorted because the wrong knowledge has continued to be handed down since the garden and man has got more dumb, especially those who have not turned back to this. This is the premier document. You can be the smartest person in the world if you, in a certain subject, but if you don't have the knowledge of this, you're lacking. Where anybody is lacking. I don't care how smart or intelligent you may be in a particular subject. So these guys, they, they were not dummies. They had access to many things that we pride ourselves in now. This is the most important document. If you do not have knowledge of the Bible, you are short-sighted and not informed. I'm going to say that again. If, if you do not have knowledge of the Bible, you are short-sighted and not fully informed. And you're not informed about the most important subjects in the world. Now let's turn to Romans chapter 4. This is a mini-sermon, just a little update, a mini-sermon about Abraham. So basically the whole world is uh, dependent upon Abraham and his offspring. And we know that to be true because that's where Jesus came from. So now, certainly, the world entirely is dependent on Jesus Christ. That's the only way out of here. It's the only way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to have eternal life, and for us not only to have eternal life, but to get a new start here. And when you get the newsletter uh, later this week, you'll see that. That's one of the things I talked about, forgiveness, and about how important. The greatest thing in the world is forgiveness. Do you understand that? That God would forgive any of us. And have you, have you ever had to forgive somebody? Or had somebody had to forgive you? It's a great feeling. There's really nothing. Uh, uh, it's just a great feeling to forgive somebody. Or for somebody to forgive you. It's just it's the greatest thing in the earth. Forgiveness is the greatest thing in the earth. Bar anything. If you and I hadn't been forgiven, we'd be stuck. And the same thing, so when you get the chance, and all of us, some of you may, may have not had the opportunity, maybe it's, you can't repair that relationship or whatever, maybe both sides aren't willing, but over my life, I've had the, the skirmishes, I guess you would call it, where I've had people that I've got crossways with that I've had the chance to forgive, and they forgive me. It's a beautiful, and, and actually those relationships are stronger now than they were before. 
And that, that's the beauty of forgiveness. So I, uh, when you get the newsletter this week, you'll see the importance of forgiveness. And you've heard me probably say some of those things. We packaged all the goes together in the newsletter for you. And let's go to verse 13 of Romans 4. Let me read some here because I want to establish how important the line of Abraham is coming through Jesus, coming to Jesus and all the way down to him. He says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the reason God chose Abraham, two reasons is he believed God. And the second one, he said he called him his friend. That's the only person in the Bible that it says that about. And he, because he would be faithful to hand off, hand down to the next generation what God had given him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. All of you in here in this building, you're going to be challenged over life, over time to hand down certain things. And, but if you're not handing down to the next generation the Word of God, God's ways and His truth, you're not really doing them the best you can do. And even as a grandparent, when you get that chance, speak into your grandchildren. Start taking them into those things of God. The greatest thing they can ever have is a relationship with God. We know that. That should not be on the back burner in your life. It should be the first thing. It should be more important than anything else you're going to have. You may hand off traits. You may hand off abilities. You may hand off certain things you're good at to them. That's all well and fine, but they should not come first. The first thing we should do is hand off God. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise of none effect. And Galatians really works this over if you want to get the whole understanding of that. Because the law brings about wrath. For there is no law, where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore, and that's where Adam and Eve were at originally, right? They had this perfect relationship with God. He spoke in the cool of the evening with them. They didn't have any knowledge of evil. And that was a great spot to be in. And then the devil showed up and talked them out of it. Therefore, it is a faith that might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham. So that's us, right? So it's not just the Jewish people. They had access and opportunity to become believers. A few of them have in the end. Paul said all of them will come back. Who is the father of us all? That's Abraham. So you are a product. If you're a person of faith, you are a product of Abraham. Abraham has a natural offspring that's in Israel. Abraham has a spiritual offspring as those who are of faith who have believed that the seed, not the seeds as in plural, but the seed, which is Jesus Christ, then you also are a product or a son or daughter of Abraham. So you are standing with Abraham and his covenants, covenants that God gave to the nation of Israel because that, that group of people was used to display God's ways and his, and his types and shadows to us. They paid a heavy price over time. And so that is part of God's covenant with them. And we have joined into that tree, according to Romans 11, where we are now part of the family of Abraham as well. He said, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who, uh, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not, uh, uh, do not exist as though they did. That's God, right? He can bring something out of nothing. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. What we read in Romans 12, 3, all the nations will be blessed because of him. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced, I like this line, that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Amen. That is the kind of faith God is looking for in us. And that's the kind of faith, we, somebody who believes against all things. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who, has deliver, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So everything has come through the line of Abraham. Everything. 80 or 90% of your Bible was written by the line of Abraham. 
This Bible, other than refuting false god, does not tell the story about all the earth ethnic groups because all the earth ethnic groups have, are dependent on one line. And that line that we trace starting in Genesis 12 all the way through the book of Revelation is the line of Abraham. And that's why the devil, this war that's going over there that I believe is bringing us into Psalm 83 and will take us on into Ezekiel 38 over time, what I believe happened, that this war has nothing to do per se with one ethnic group versus another one. This is about God and Satan. This, that's where it all starts. The, Satan hates anything to do with God. If you will find that those same groups that hate Israel with vehement, they hate them just a little bit more than the Christian, but they hate Christians as well. We're infidels to them. So they hate the Jews, they hate Christians, and if you get on back behind all that, most of them hate America as well. That's what these groups, but these groups are motivated by the hatred of Satan toward God and everything. Do you know that when Israel came back into the land and became a nation in 1948, a war started the very next day because the devil does not want God's plan to be fulfilled. So in the last days, God said, I'm going to take my people home. And when they go home this time, according to Jeremiah, they're not moving. And the reason a two-state solution is not going to work is because God said it's not going to work. I don't care what savvy politician you have in there and how uh, unjustifiably empathetic think people think they are. This is part of God's plan. He intended to bring Israel home. They have suffered immensely because they were the ones God chose to use and bring the Messiah through. And said, so God said, enough of their suffering. I'm going to bring them back home. And then I'm going to start judging all those nations that have caused them to suffer and brought them so much pain and anguish. And if you want to read your Bible extensively, you will find out that Gaza is going to be wiped out. You will also find out that Damascus is going to be wiped out. You will also find out that Amman is going to be wiped out. The world's going to go. If you think the world's going nuts now, let the oldest city in the world be destroyed and devastated. And that's coming. And then all those nations are going to be crippled. And when those nations become crippled that are surrounding Israel, those peripheral nations that are funding all this, like China and Russia and Iran and all that, then when you see that, then they're, they're going to be reluctant to come down. Oh, they're big talkers right now, but they're a bunch of sissies. Because in Ezekiel 38, the Bible says God, they're up there thinking, planning all this stuff, and they're, they're not wanting to come down. So the Bible says God's going to put a hook in their jaw and bring them down. And he's basically saying, oh no, you guys ain't going to sit in the sidelines and act like you're innocent. And oh, you're big talkers and big walkers right now. But when I get through with these nations surrounding Israel, you're coming down for your judgment. And he's going to bring them down into that area. And they're going to think all the things, that hundred million man army is going to come out of the east eventually. And Armageddon is going to play out after Ezekiel 38. All these things are on the peripheral. We're watching those things be set up right in front of our eyes. But I'm going to tell you something. This ain't got nothing to do with ethnic groups and all that. That's what the world has deduced it down to. You know why? Because they have bad knowledge. They don't have any knowledge of the most holy. This goes all the way back to the garden where God and Satan got crossways. And God said, to our, to our help, he said, I'm going to raise up a line and I'm going to send my son. He didn't have to do that. He could have left us all desolate. We could all still be in our sin. And he could have said, good riddance. You had your chance. Now move on. But God in his love and compassion sent his son to die for the Russians, the Americans, the Palestinians, the Arabs, the, the Australians. He sent his son for all of us. But they reject him. They reject his book. And now we got idiots in our own streets in this country that have no knowledge of what's really going on. They don't have any knowledge of what's really going on. And because of that, we have a divided country, and that's getting ready to get worse. Because what's going to happen in the world? Politics is about ready to meet its end. You know why? Because God's going to show up, and what's going to divide us now is what's right in here and what's wrong out there. It ain't going to matter what kind of politics you have. This is going to trump it all, and politics is going to fall by the wayside. And the King of kings, him that is true, he will judge the world, and everybody, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, is the Lord.
And so you better be standing with Israel. I'm not talking to a crowd that don't understand that, but to those that hear my voice, you better be standing with Israel. Because that's the line that God sent to bring us all salvation. Our salvation came through Abraham's line. And here we stand in a world that's so ignorant about the ways of God, but you and I have got to stand for the truth. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea chapter 6. That was sermon 1. <clears throat> that one does... Uh, Today, it's buy one, get one free. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6. We're going to get over here and look at something here uh, real quick in Hosea chapter 6. And some of you have heard me talk about this. Actually, I want to go back to chapter 5 in Hosea because I want to set this up a little bit. In Hosea chapter 5, verse 14, he says, <clears throat> "For This is God talking to Israel, and I want you to watch how this plays out. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and a, a young lion to the house of Judah. And that's how God divided them over time. That's still all of them, the north and the south. But sometimes he identified one tribe to represent the whole, especially the way as time went on. I, even I, will tear them and go away. I will take them away and none will rescue them. And that certainly has happened to Israel until now. Now Israel's going to have some trouble. They're going to keep having trouble. Until the Messiah comes. Actually what's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's probably already alive and well. We just not identified him yet. But there's going to be a guy on, come up on the scene. And he's going to have some answers for the world. And especially Israel. And, and they're going to make a covenant with him. And there's going to be what the Bible calls a false peace. Where they say, oh everything's good now. And then sudden destruction is going to happen on the earth. So that day's coming. But now God says... They're in a spot here where they're getting judged by God. And we've seen this over their history. If you've read about it in the scripture and their history. I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Now that God's saying I'm going to let them get in a spot to where they're going to turn back toward me. And that's probably going to, that happens to all nations. And some nations do not. Turn back to God. He says, come and let us return to the Lord. This is the response, the call from the prophet for his people. He says, come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. God is a faithful parent. He disciplines those whom he loves, the Bible says. He chastens those whom he loves. In fact, and then he goes in Hebrews, in the New Testament, he says, he chastens those whom he loves. And then he says, of which all of those who belong to him get, they all get discipline. And if we don't get discipline, he said, and the old King James said it this way, he says, you're bastards. You don't have a dad. That means you don't belong to God. Right? So there, there is a clear indication in there. If you run across that Christian that is so self-righteous that acts like they never get disciplined by God, they, if they don't get disciplined by God, they blind to themselves. They become a Pharisee. They're not a Christian. Because the Bible says all of us are partakers of his discipline. It's coming to all of us. Coming to a theater near you sometime soon. Come and let us return to the Lord for he's torn but he will heal us. Now God does discipline but he also heals. And this is why I challenge people when I teach on families and parenting. <clears throat> that if you discipline your child. This was bad parenting back in the days. Discipline your child and then send them to bed without supper. That's not, that's not God. That's not how God works. If the discipline's done, it's over, it's final. What if you came to this altar and repented and God followed you all the way out the door saying, I'm going to do some more stuff to you. That ain't enough right there. What if God treated us the way some parents treat their children? He doesn't do that. If you've disciplined, if you've spanked them, if you've granted them enough, let them have some supper. Let them, don't be a, and always some of the best moments I've had relationally with my children has been after a time of discipline. When I can go back and reinforce my love and say, this ain't about love or how much I love you. This is about training and about, you know, possibly saving your life, whatever, you know, whatever the situation, what we're talking about. So some of the greatest moments is to come back and reinforce and love that child after the discipline's been done. Think how God's treated you. I'm, I got a lot of gray hair now, and I do a lot of troubleshooting because of the kind of ministry God's given me, the mantle I have with other pastors. And one of the things I tell other pastors when they say, I'm dealing with this or this or this with a staff member or with a person in church, I say, just remember this, treat them the way God's treated you. Amen. That's a good rule of thumb for all of us. Treat 
others the way God has treated you. Right? If you're a husband and a wife, I don't know why I'm nailing this, but I'm going to go ahead and get it. The Holy Spirit. If you're a husband and a wife and you've repented and forgive each other for something, how dare you bring it up five days later? How dare you do that? Does God do you that way? When you've sinned and you've asked for forgiveness, does God bring it up six days down the road and say, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? I knew it would get quiet. I didn't know it was going to quiet because I didn't know I was going to say that this morning. <laughs> you need to read the newsletter this week. Make sure you read it when it comes to your home or pick one up back here. Because we don't have the right to do that. We need to treat others the way God has treated us. That doesn't mean God don't discipline because he has. How many have got a, can I say it like I want to say it like a good old mountain boy? How many has got a whooping from God before? <laughs> I've got a whooping, right? Some of you got one this week. Go ahead and admit it. So, but, but God's always full of love and compassion. And here's the beauty of God. He does everything for our good, right? He does it for us. He's doing it for our benefit. Then he goes on and he says, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. See, that's what we should be doing. That's what our country... The, when's the last time you heard a world leader, or any leader for that matter, talk about Jesus Christ? The, some of them will throw God up in the air occasionally, but talking about the crux of the matter, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, he says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Are you doing that? You may be the best fill in the blank of anybody in the whole neighborhood. But are you pursuing the knowledge of God? Let me tell you something. And I don't say this to boast, but I'm going to tell you this to make a point. Some of these books in this Bible I've read 200 times. And you know what? Every time I go back, I get something fresh again. So don't, don't get high-minded and think you know it all. Just keep studying, keep bringing. Because not only is this the knowledge of God, the Bible says this is spiritual food. So when I'm taking it in, I'm feeding my spiritual man. Even Listen, you, you cannot treat the Bible, uh, you don't treat your natural man that way. If you just ate something one time and never went back to eat it again, you'd be dead by now. You'd run out of things to eat, right? If you just said, I'm just going to eat stuff one time. How people treat their Bible. I'm just going to read it once. I read it once. Well, good for you. <laughs> and they said, uh, You'd run, I just, I, I, here's your hamburger. I know you're hungry. I don't eat one of them. I ate one of them when I was 13. Not eating again. Right? Or whatever. We, we, and, and notice what we do. I love this analogy because I do it too. You eat something, the last one you eat is the best one you ever eat. Have you noticed that? You know, you, it's like, unless it's bad, it's, it's, your, it's in that moment. There are some bad things, right? There are some bad, but in that moment, it's like, man, it's the best steak I've ever had. Well, you said that two weeks ago. Because it's fresh, it's the moment, right? That's how God's Word is. It's so fresh and new. Just keep that. Make sure you get some time in. And if you're busy, I understand we're all busy. Get you something where you can listen. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. Get that Word in you. Get that spiritual food in you. Get the knowledge of God, the Lord, inside of you. Amen? He's going forth and established in His morning. So, uh, he says, he's going forth to establish in the morning. He will come to us like rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Those are the festivals, right? The early rain is the, the fall, spring festivals and the latter. He says, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like that light that goes forth for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings he wants us to know his ways but like men they transgress the covenant they have dealt treacherously with me now here's our challenge in America we can get too busy too cumbered about with stuff to where God is not our priority and he should be our priority we can be we ought to be careful of that turn to Psalm 90 in Psalm 90, he's going to use this phrase again here. I'm just going to read, uh, let me just read, um, I'm just going to take you through the whole chapter, but I don't think I want to do that. Well, maybe. Let's go to Psalm 90, because it's, it's very similar, it's very similar to what I just read you there in Hosea, the way the language lays out. He says, he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you, ever you had formed the earth, 
uh, and the world. <clears throat> he says, from the everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So even before the world was formed, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. That's what the cry was in Hosea. Come back to the Lord, right? For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Same language it was said in Hosea. We're going to come back to that thought here in just a moment. You carry them away like a, uh, like a flood. They are like sheep in the morning. They are like grass that grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and your wrath. We are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, and the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. So he knows it all. The good news is repentance can bail you out. Tell your neighbor, say repentance can bail you out. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, uh, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Isn't that true? How true is the Bible? Who knows the power of your anger? And if, uh, for as the fear of you, so is the wrath. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. Now, I've, I've read some Enoch stuff lately, and Enoch talks about how the reason God gave us seasons the way he does and times is so we could estimate our lives and realize that this don't last forever. I want to read you something else that they attribute to Enoch. Right here, he says, this is what they attribute to Enoch. Woe unto you who cause wickedness, who glorify and honor false words. That is probably one of the biggest problems in our world now with all this media. How many false words are spoken? Woe unto you who cause wickedness, who glorify and honor false words. You are lost. That's his conclusion. You are lost and you have no life of good things. Woe unto you who alter the words of truth and pervert the eternal law. They reckon themselves not guilty of sin. They shall be trampled on upon the earth. They attribute that to Enoch. The reason I read that to you is it's about ownership. I, I, I mentioned this briefly before we started the service. God owns it all. So if God wants to give Kentucky to Russia, he can it's his prerogative. If you go back to Gaza, Gaza also had beautiful homes. They actually had three-story houses, same way Ur did. They had a lot of stuff going on, very prominent. David, they found the uh, mosaic with David's inscription talking about King David who had been there. King David was there almost 1,700 years before Mohammed, go figure. Gaza was where Samson did a lot of his feats, where David went down, Goliath, all that stuff. These Philistines, they were troublemakers. So God gave that land. He gave Israel a lot more land than they inhabit right now. But all that land was given to him. It's his prerogative. God gave that land to his people. He ran, the Philistines were moved off. It all belonged to God anyway. So if God gives Russia to China... Or if he gives North Korea to China, whatever. If he gives, winds up giving Ukraine to Russia, that's God's prerogative. Or vice versa. Maybe he gives Russia to Ukraine. God can do anything he wants. It all belongs to him. You and I only own things horizontally, not vertically. So God can take the wealth of this nation and give it to this nation. And that's the way it is. He gave Israel... Gaza, he gave Israel a lot more land than they inhabit now. And when it's all said and done, that it's all going to go back to them. That's why there's not going to be a two-state solution. Now, what the, world's, the world is getting lulled into sleep right now because they think that this is just a battle between political ideas and men. That's not what this is about. This is a battle. Then it's played itself out in some of those realms. But this is a battle between God and Satan. This is a plan for God's people, the Israelites, and he's going to fulfill it. And what you're going to see, according to Psalm 83 and, and Ezekiel 38, God's going to rise up supernaturally in all this stuff. This is not just going to be, oh, this iron dome, and oh, that missile fire, and oh, that rocket fire. There's going to start being, at some point, during these conflicts that are coming in the next few years, there's going to be supernatural things go on where the world's going to see how big God is. This, that's what this is about. And if you're a Christian, 
You've got to understand that people who do not honor God will lose out. I'm going to give you a story that most democratic societies hate. But it's in the Bible. Jesus came and he gave three people talents. Remember that? Gave this one five, gave another one two, and gave another one one. When he, came, when he talks about this guy talks about when he comes back, the five had gained five, and the other had gained, doubled his, and the other one hadn't used it at all. But he was the poorest of the three, based on the amount of talents he was given. The Bible says he took that talent from the poor one and gave it to the guy who had the most because he'd been faithful. Now run that through governments. Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. If we live by that, we might see more people working. Now they can't hire enough of nowhere. So you got to understand, that's not man's way. So if you have God's blessings in your life, and you refuse to allow Him to use those through you, and to be a blessing in His kingdom, you may watch those be taken and handed to another. Somebody that, and I've used this illustration many times. If I'm a business owner, and I own a product, and I bring it to both halves of this building, and, give, and say, you guys distribute this, and I come back 30 days later, and this half has distributed it, and this half is not, who's going to get new product and fresh product? This half. See, a lot of people, you're damming up things. Let me draw that up here. We don't want to dam up things because dams cause problems. If you got stick man, he's at church. You thought he'd backslid, didn't you? Here he is this morning. God's design is this. He brings fresh water, living water if you want to have it, into our lives. So that, that, that can be, he wants us to be blessed by it. But others as well, so that he can bless others through us. That's the little bitty stick people. Yeah, right there. That one looked like a cat. I drew one with a cat. <laughs> so this living water flows into my life and it flows out to others. All right? That's God's design. I get blessed with it, then it's used to bless others. That's the whole, that's the way it is, right? I, I would be that way as a business owner, right? You want people to be blessed and then the, to be a blessed. But what happens in here, some people just build dams and they hoard up what they get. They forget that verse that says, freely receive, freely give. And I'll just start right off the bat with forgiveness. Freely, you got forgiveness. Has anybody ever come to the altar and asked for forgiveness or wherever your altar may be, even outside? You don't have to wait till you get here. And the Lord said, mm, nah, I'm not forgiving you today. I just ain't feeling it. God, God, you come to God and he said, nah. So freely you receive, freely you forgive, right? Mercy, grace, money, whatever, riches, yeah. It's all part of it, but sometimes it's the very basic thing of giving somebody mercy because you got it. Or giving somebody forgiveness because you've got it. Whatever that, material things, money, whatever. But when we start damming things up, this fresh water supply starts pooling up, right? And once it starts pooling up, it becomes stagnant, right? And pretty soon we'll drown right there if we stay there. And what do we do? We push the fresh water supply further and further away from us so that we're now not in a fresh water supply any longer. We're in a stagnant pond. A lot of people do that with their lives. And then these people start suffering out here. So God never intended for us to damn things up, right? He said, don't worry about tomorrow because you don't own it. Tell your neighbors, say, don't worry about tomorrow. You might be dead anyhow. Right? You don't, you don't own tomorrow, right? I, I, I Listen, nobody got a clearer message about that than I did last year. We don't own tomorrow. You can be here today and gone in a second. So we, we got to understand God did not intend for us to live as hoarders. Right? He intended us to be blessed. He wants you to be blessed. And look at the guy who had the most. He got more. That, that's how God's kingdoms run. But we, we don't live that way in a democratic society because we don't want to call people to accountability. And the reason now we got all these false gods and these people who say they don't believe in a God, period, it's not got nothing to do with religion. The basic premise goes all the way back to the garden again. It's the thought inside a man that says, I don't want to be accountable to anybody. 
I don't want a God because I don't want to have to be accountable for anything. I want to do my own thing. I want to do it my way. I don't want any eternal law. Don't talk to me about God's way or His eternal law. And then in Psalm 90, he continues, he says, The days of our lives are seven, maybe eighty, yet boast in labor, saw, and it's cut off. And he says, who knows your anger? He says, return to the Lord. In verse 13, how long? And have compassion on your servants. So satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice. See, this played out exactly the way Hosea 5 and 6 did. The same kind of language. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. The years in which we've seen evil. Let your work appear on your servants. Your glory in their children. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So, and both of these guys, and I'll take you to 2 Peter, and then I'm going to close in just a few moments. In 2 Peter chapter 3, both of these guys use the same phrase. They talked about how a thousand years is a day, and a day is a thousand years. <clears throat> now, in Peter, he used the same phrase, and I'm going to take you back. Both Moses and Peter use the same phrase, and I'm going to take you back and show you what that means in Hosea chapter 6 in just a moment. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what happens, and this is the day we're living in. This is going to lead us, this is all about the end of time, what I'm sharing with you. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be called and destroyed, here's what they do. They speak evil of the things they do not understand. That's where most of the world's at. They do not understand what God's doing. They don't understand His ways. They don't understand the role of Israel. They don't understand the return of the Lord. They don't understand about worshiping false gods. They don't understand why God would take one away from one guy who only has one and give it to the guy who has ten. They have no understanding about that. They don't have any understanding about accountability. God created us, and we are all accountable to Him whether we like it or not. We're everyone going to give an account of ourselves. And he says, and, and we will receive the wages, they, and, and will receive that. Let me back up. They speak evil things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness, and those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. You'd be surprised how many so-called Christians are deceived into all this stuff. And he says, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, they have a heart trained in covetous practice and are accursed children. Now, if you've seen some of these protests going back for the last five years, why do they have to eventually turn sexual? These people go out there and do crazy stuff in the middle of our streets, in our world. And why, why does Islam base all of its reward on the flesh and sexual pleasure. Huh? Because that's the way of the flesh. And most of the world lives after the way of the flesh. Why can a guy who's in Islam marry a woman, take her on a business trip for sexual pleasure, and bring her back home and divorce her? Because it's all about the flesh. It's all about the flesh. Mohammed's still in the grave. He has nothing to offer. Confucius is still in the grave. He has nothing to offer. Jesus is alive. He's the only one that has eternal life to offer. Amen. So they brainwash these children to hate Jews and, and Christians and anybody that's not like them and tell them these lies about all these false benefits and it all has to do with the flesh. The Bible says no flesh will glory in the presence of the Lord. It says, Then they have forsaken the right way, gone the way astray, following the way of Balaam and the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he, has rebuked, he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. So who's really the dumb donkey? The man was, really. Boy, I could preach a message on that. These are wells without water. Clouds, especially if I could use the old King James. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through their lust of the flesh. See that? Empty words telling these young men and young women, go blow yourself up and kill the infidels, and you'll have 50 virgins waiting on the other side. They allure them with what? The lust of the flesh. Through lewdness. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty. And this is a lot of so-called people who 
claim God but don't live the Christian life. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For it, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled and overcome, the latter end is worse than them from the beginning. Remember that? Jesus had something to say about that when he said, you cast this demon out of this guy, get him straightened out. If he opens the door back up, he'll be seven times worse than before. Same kind of language being used here. For it would have been better for them to, have known, uh, uh, to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to their true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, a sow having washed to her uh, wallowing in the mire. That's what it's like for somebody to walk out on God. The Israelites did it. Many nations have done it. You, you don't get this idea. That all these other nations just popped out without knowing God. All these nations knew God at one time, just like Harvard. Harvard was built on the premise of God back years ago. And you just watch and follow these nations over time. Do you know every nation in the world heard the gospel on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came? They're without excuse. These nations didn't just pop up without knowing God. Everything came from Adam and Eve. And then the reboot, if you want to call it the reboot, came from Noah and his sons. They all knew God. Everybody knew who God was. What did we read in Peter? They, they refused the knowledge of God. They just turned away from it. Look at uh, chapter 3. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, and both that I stir up your pure minds by a reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior, knowing this first, listen up here, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep... All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Pay attention to these next two lines. For this they willfully forget that the word of God, the heavens were of old, by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing in the, out, of the water, out of the water and in the water, by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded by the water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. In other words, they willfully forget that God created the earth. They willfully, they choose to forget that there was a flood judgment one time reminding us that we're all going to have to give an account. They willfully do that. And I've said this the last three weeks. That's why Paul said if they're ignorant, let them stay that way. Why? Because they, the word of ignorant is ignore. These people willfully choose to forget that God will judge sin someday. They forget that they will stamp. They willfully forget. And that's where we're at. He says, they will forget, but the heavens and the earth are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So there's another judgment coming. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. Now let me tell you about this thousand year in a day. God didn't just say that. To just say time don't mean anything to him. He lives outside the realm of time anyway. Let me show you something here and then I'm going to close. This is God. He sits atop the circle. We'll call this circle eternity. And in this circle, God sees all the way around. So somewhere in eternity, we'll call it ground zero, God instituted time, created the earth and created Adam or Adam as we call it. Over here, time's going to expire and go back. And so man will go into a realm of eternity where we don't age. Right? Where things don't die. So we'll slip in back into a stage. So my argument to the people say, well, the earth's millions of years old. You cannot, or the universe is a million, whatever. You cannot go back here and date anything. Because time don't exist back here. That's where they're flawed. You, they're trying to use dating based on the realm that we live in, which is time. Did God have things going on before Adam? Yeah, we just read that in Romans. That they were around. He's always been God. So he had things going on. But there's no way to go back here and date anything because you slip back into a realm that is so unfamiliar to any of us. There's going to be no night, right? You go back into a realm where time is no longer exists. So there's not revolutions like you and I have with a watch or a clock, right? So nothing can age in that, right? We're timeless. 
And so if you go back behind Adam, we know since Adam, we've been right around 6,000 years, right? But if you go back behind Adam and try to say, well, we believe there's no way to date something because there's been no revolutions back here. Now, the reason God can, can tell us something before it happens is because God can see around this entire circle, right? So he can go out here and say, this will happen, whatever. He can see. So he plays this whole thing. But God is in this realm of eternity. We are confined into this realm that he created with the lights, right? The sun and the moon, that revolutions. The, the, morning and the, the evening and the morning were the first yom or day, right? And so because God set revolutions in place because there's a time here for his program to play out. When we go into that realm, back into eternity, there's no way to go back here and date things. So that makes everything flawed, trying to get back here somewhere and do something into a realm that we know nothing about. We don't know nothing about a realm where there's no night, where there's no clock to tick around. We don't know nothing about a, uh, an, an arena or a place where time does not exist. That's even hard for me to conceive, where time does not exist. Right, and then he says, he says, "So this seven year and thousand, this thousand year and a day." Uh, uh, Moses said it in Psalm ninety. Peter's using it here, and the Holy Spirit is perfect. So the Holy Spirit's using it in the context of prophecy of the end of time. If you go back to Hosea chapter six, the Bible says that God was going to they're going to be desolated, desolate. They're going to be gone for two days, and in the third day, He said, "I'm going to raise them up." And they're going to live in my sight. So if you study the history of Israel, they were, out of the, they were gone for 2,000 years or what? Two days. Guess what? They went home. What are they waiting on? Now notice, he didn't say in his presence. He said in his sight. That's what he said in Hosea. We're in his presence now. But we're not in his physical sight. In other words, Jesus is not here in the flesh or in his body form and us being able to see him in the natural. That's a whole different reference in Hosea than what we're living in now. Why? Because that last day, that third day, is that thousand-year period when Jesus will live here on earth and we'll actually see him with our eyes. So that's a prophecy to Israel. God's getting them ready that he's saying, hey, for two days you're going to be scattered, but I'm going to raise you up, and then on that third day you're going to live in his sight, the Messiah's sight, not just his presence. But his sight. So when Peter brings us back to that, he's talking about the end of time. He says, God's not, he says, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come under repentance. You're on the verge of all this stuff playing out. We are. That's why I say there's a good chance all of us could be alive when the Lord comes back. I believe we're that. Close. We are that terminal generation. Those two days are over. We're waiting on the third day to kick in. And while we're waiting, we're seeing the stage being set for all this to play out. Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, the seven years of great tribulation. We're in tribulation now. But the seven years of great tribulation, that is a time, the Bible calls it a time of Jacob's trouble. It's when God deals back with the natural offspring of Israel. When the focus leaves the Gentiles and goes back on Jews. That, the focus for the last 2,000 years has been on rounding up Gentiles who will believe in the Lord. Now when that time, we're coming to the end of that, as that comes to a close, and the Bible said the key to understanding that's coming to a close is when Jerusalem no longer is controlled by the Gentiles, but by the Jews. That happened in 1967. Our days running thin as Gentiles. The rapture is going to happen very soon. And then the Jews are going to become the focus again. God's going to raise up 144,000, 12,000 out of each tribe. They're going to start evangelizing. The two prophets are going to be here for the first three and a half years prophesying and pointing them to God. The Antichrist is going to be up here lying and doing all his thing. Hopefully not up here, but wherever he's at. He's going to be lying and doing his thing. All that We're on the verge of that. We're watching all this be set up. i got news for you. There's not going to be a two-state solution, and Israel ain't leaving that land. God's plan is going to come to pass. Can you say amen? So here we stand. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in verse 10. 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since, we, uh, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct God? That's a word to us. Those words in Hosea about not being faithful, that's a word to us. The Bible has prophetic implications, but it also always has practical implications for the person or the man or woman who's going to follow the Lord. Are you being faithful or are you saying, are you just like me and you're always unfaithful? That, that's what he said to them. That's a word to all of us. This is a word to us. Since we know that time is short, since we know that this thing's winding up, he says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We should be growing in our holiness and how we live our lives. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the he heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, everybody say, I'm a we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, look at the instruction He's given us, beloved. Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You want to know why God puts up with all this dung? I use the Bible word so nobody get mad at me. You want to know why God puts up with all this dung? Because He's trying to save anybody and everybody. I wouldn't have put, I'm going to be honest with you, I wouldn't have put up with it. I mean, enough babies being slaughtered is enough. Enough war, enough people acting stupid, don't even know which bathroom to use. Amen. I'd have done said, this is it. No more. Let's just shut this thing down. But see, I'm not God. Everybody say, we're glad the preacher's not God. <laughs> and guess what? He's going to say it back. I'm glad none of you all are God. I don't need a God like me. I need a God that's bigger than me. I need a God that's smarter than me. I need a God that's more righteous than me. I need a God that's stronger than I am. And that's the kind of God I have. He rules the earth. He rules Asia. He rules Africa. He rules North and South America. He rules the islands. He rules Russia. He rules China. He rules it all. He's in charge. And He's been around the corner before any of us get there. Let's stand to our feet. Let's give Him some more praise. He's worthy of our praise. Hallelujah, Lord. We give You praise in this house. You are worthy of our praise. So we understand that we should be making ourselves ready. Uh, should you pick it up a little bit? Yes. Yes. We're the people. Think about this. I believe that we're the people that got the baton on the last leg of the race. Now, I, you know, everybody's important in the race. But I'll tell you, there's something special about that last person getting it and getting to that finish line. Do you realize that God could have put you anywhere any time in the history of the world? Your parents may have had the ability to create a physical body, but God's the one that gives the Spirit, so He could have dispatched your spirit anywhere, anytime in there. He put you here and now. God's, I don't want to say it, God is hoping that we'll be the people that will do His will, that we'll be the ones that will stand. I'm not saying God's counting on us. I shouldn't say it that way, but in a sense, He is. God put you here to live in the last days, to take a stand for His Word, to be those people. How, what a privilege to be that last person in a four-person race to get the baton and the everybody be cheering you on saying, get to that finish line. You get to that finish line. You keep running. You keep... Let me tell you something. I, I don't want to quit, but I'm going to try. Listen, God ain't looking for the perfect man or woman. If he was, he'd be sorely disappointed. He looked for a perfect man. He found him. His name's Jesus Christ. But God is looking for people who don't quit. He's looking for people who when they fall, they get up every time they fall. He's looking for people that are not moved by their circumstances, but they're moved by thus saith the Lord. That's who God's looking for. So if you're a, uh, somebody in this building you don't feel like you're worthy, you don't, your only way you're going to be worthy is through Jesus anyway. You need to get up off your feet and when you fall, get up. And like the old timer said, when you fall, fall forward. And get up every time you fall and say, God, I'm right here. I may have failed, but I'm right here. I'm getting right back up. I ain't quitting. I ain't leaving. I'm sticking this out with you. Give me that baton and let me finish this race in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. I thank you for giving us understanding, Lord. I, I am humbled by how you've directed my life. 
and expose me to your ways and your teaching. I'm humbled at the places you've allowed me to travel and to learn of you and to be taught and led by your Holy Spirit. I'm humbled by that, Lord. I'm humbled by the fact that you intended for us to not be caught off guard. You said that that season should not catch us off guard. That day should not catch us off guard. We don't know the day nor the hour, but you said we know the season and that we should not be caught off guard. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we're not. That you've given your word. And I pray that everybody on the sound of my voice that's a believer in here, that they'll be strengthened today. That they'll be the person that'll take that baton. They'll understand their place in the race. And that we'll run straight for that finish line. I pray that you'll give us boldness and the right words, full of love, to share the gospel with those who are lost. That, that is the most important, immediate need in the world, is to reach the lost. May we be used to that. Lord, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice that's not ready to stand before you, I pray that you'll speak to their hearts today. Maybe they're in this building. They need to come to this altar and get their heart right with you. Maybe they're watching us on our video feed. Lord, we pray they can just kneel right there and ask you to come into their heart. Forgive them of their sins and become a new creature in you. If you're here and you have any need or you're watching, you have any need, just believe by faith <clears throat> your God is not only a Savior, but He's a deliverer and He's a healer. He can heal your mind, your spirit, and your body. He can deliver your mind, your spirit, and your body. And He can save you. And then He'll give you a new body someday. Whatever your need is, will you come as we worship Him in this moment?